Okay, in our previous class, we examined two character qualities, goodness and knowledge, from 2 Peter chapter 1. We're going to continue on, of course, with next class called Self-Control, or The Twilight Zone. But I wanted to find out, did everyone have a chance to complete their homework assignment from our last class? Yes, but it was so long ago, I don't Okay, so for those who have forgotten or maybe didn't do it or weren't here to get the assignment, uh, let me just uh, review with you what I uh, suggested you do. I wanted you to go on the church website, and if you're uncomfortable doing that, I'll run you through it, okay? So this is how to navigate our church website to find my first lesson. Okay, so you go to resources on the homepage, click it, and then look down for the sermons tab and click that. And then I will be, this class will be under general sermons. So when you're there, click on general sermons. And of course, I don't rank on being at the top, so you got to scroll down. <laughs> and when you scroll down, you'll see Empty Nesters, class number one. That's where you want to be. You'll see I have all of the um, uh, notes there, the pictures, and as well, you'll even uh, have an audio uh, file that you can uh, play. Okay, so tonight, again, we're doing the Twilight Zone discussion, and I am using a theme scripture for this topic from Titus chapter 2, verses 11 through 13. I'm trying to zero us in on uh, focusing on dealing with respectable sins that lead to generational drift. Uh, as, you, as you recall, the, the overarching theme of all these breakout classes for each, um, you know, I guess demographic of the church is generational lift versus generational drift. And, of course, we want to be participating with lifting the generation. So, here's part of the reason I chose uh, the book of Titus. Here the Apostle Paul provides instructions to Titus the Evangelist for what needed to be taught to various groups. And this is, of course, within the churches in Crete. But as you see, self-control was something that he mentioned more than once, that should be brought up with both, as you see in here, the old and the young alike. Uh, for the listening audience, I'll read it. You, however, must teach what is appropriate to sound, to, what is appropriate to sound doctrine. Teach the older men to be temperate, worthy of respect, self-controlled, and sound in the faith. Italics mine, or emphasis mine. In love and endurance. Likewise, teach the older women to be reverent in the way they live, not to be slanderers or addicted to much wine, but to teach what is good. Then they can urge the younger women to love their husbands and children and to be self-controlled and pure, to be busy at home, to be kind, and to be subject to their husbands so that no one will malign the word of God. So this is not new territory. Self-control. Although some scholars may debate its worthiness, I won't get into that. It was definitely on Peter's mind, 
It was definitely on Paul's mind. Furthermore, through this letter, God also gives us the proper perspective we need to have towards pursuing the discipline, or if you want to say, Christ-like character attribute quality of self-control. So let me again highlight our theme scripture, Titus 2, verses 11 through 13. For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passion and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age while we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Fantastic verse. And I think it in it, you see what this whole subject matter is based upon. And we'll, we'll talk a little bit more about that again later. Grace. What grace is teaching us. But let's get a little technical here. What I want to do is let's review some common Greek dictionary definitions for enkratia. Okay? That's the way you would say it, unless you're George, but he's not here tonight to correct me. Okay? But it's how you pronounce this word. Okay? And this is the transliteration of the Greek word for self-control. Here are some suggested definitions by Greek scholars. Self-mastery, self-restraint, self-control, continence. We all laugh about that one. Okay? Properly, this is the very proper, complete definition, dominion within. That is self-control. Proceeding out from within oneself, but not by oneself. That actually is a very, very good, theologically, doctrinally speaking, definition. But I tend to be a little bit more on the, let's just be briefer. So the, my favorite one on this list, but you can pick your own, is self-mastery. And the reason I like that one is it, it seems to, you know, depict, well, the lifelong process required to get a handle on the character quality, self-control. In other words, you, you work at mastering it. So that's kind of the notion I want to impart to you tonight. Not that anybody and everybody's arrived, but that we're going to continue to master this very important discipline. Okay, and... For those of you who are looking to a more day-to-day -day definition, how about the Urban Dictionary <laughs> definition? Get a grip, man. Okay? I like that one, too. Okay. But given the more senior aspect of our fellowship, and that is what we're representative here, I thought it best to take a walk down... TV land, memory lane, to one of my favorite fast TV programs of the early 60s, dating myself. Okay, I don't have soundtracks, sorry, we're not hooked up. But for those of you who share my fascination for science fiction, do you remember Rod Serling's mantra? 
from season four of The Twilight Zone. I'll read it. You unlock this door with the key of imagination. Beyond it is another dimension, a dimension of sound, a dimension of sight, a dimension of mind. You're moving into a land of both shadow and substance, of things and ideas. You've just crossed over into the twilight zone. Okay? Love it. Okay? I don't quite have his voice, but if I, if I picked up cigarettes and started smoking, I'd probably be a little bit... That's actually, that's actually what killed him. Anyway, I love him. He's a great writer. Okay, now, let's take the passages we've already studied, 2 Peter chapter 1, and Titus 2 that, that I showed you. And with those two passages in mind, Paul's emphasis and Peter's emphasis on self-control, let me spiritualize this mantra for our own purposes. Okay, okay. got to have a reason, justification for putting it up here. Okay, I'll read it again. You unlock this door with the key of grace. Beyond it is another dimension, a dimension of faith, a dimension of goodness, a dimension of knowledge. You're moving into a life of saying no to ungodliness and worldly passions. You've just crossed over into the self-control zone. All right. Love it. Now, let's go to Merriam-Webster. The definition of twilight, an intermediate state that's not clearly defined. Okay? It's most of us in the morning, okay? But, you know, what I really want to get at is, and why I chose this label, not because I'm just sci-fi buff, but this describes areas of our lives where we're living in ambiguity. That is, we lack clear conviction about certain behaviors and sins in our lives, certain behaviors and sins that I'm going to refer to as another author prior to me did by calling them, oh, well, those are the respectable sins. But they, I contest, lead to generational drift. Okay? The Apostle Paul warned the first century disciples that the devil had blinded the minds of unbelievers around them and that through their culture, Satan was waging a war against their spiritual convictions. And it is certainly no different for us today. Every day, I see my own sinful nature wanting to take charge and rewrite the rules. What do you mean? For example, a sign designating 50 mi 55 miles per hour as the speed limit means that that should be my minimum speed on the highway. A yellow light means I need to hurry through the intersection before it turns red. A sign stating do not touch means I should place my finger on the wall to see if the paint is still wet. You know, where does this come from? That's what's inside us. And this is the war Satan is waging against us. But C.S. Lewis, for example, also poignantly depicts Satan's efforts to derail our faith and convictions in his novel, The Screwtape Letters. 
this classic is a recommended read for everyone if you haven't picked it up before. But also, the contemporary writer, um, Miss Jerry Bridges, <clears throat> also describes this well in his book entitled Respectable Sins. Confronting the Sins We Tolerate. Here, Mr. Bridges addresses the facts that many Christians today have become so preoccupied with major sins that we've lost sight of our need to deal with the more subtle sins, what he calls respectable sins, which are generally speaking sins of the tongue and of the heart. Not murder, rape, you know, things like that. Okay? So, what does he mean? Let's go through the list. How about anger? How about discontentment? How about envy and jealousy? Frustration? Impatience? Walking out on the speaker? <laughs> Irritability, judgmentalism, pride, selfishness, unthankfulness, worldliness, worry. Yeah. But these are sins. The following exercise will likely demonstrate the predicament we're in. How many of you believe tobacco and alcohol abuse is a sin? Okay. Now, yeah, I said abuse. Let me reiterate, John. How many of you believe tobacco or alcohol abuse is a sin? Yeah, okay. Now, why do you feel that way? What scriptures support your convictions that you think it's a sin? Perhaps 1 Corinthians chapter 6? Verse 19 through 20, pretty popularly used. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you receive from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. Or it could be Ephesians 5, verse 18. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. I mean, these are pretty clear. And obviously, as a doctor, I can speak from personal experience about the harmful effects of smoking on my surgical patients. This is a popular ad, okay? And how alcohol consumption plays a major role in my trauma cases. Now, I'm sure most of you have a similar degree of alarm regarding why anyone would continue these behaviors when the risks are so obvious. But let's examine a third unhealthy behavior and compare it to smoking and drinking. Okay? This is an article here uh, from Health Affairs. You know, this is one of those things out of our federal government where our tax dollars go. Okay. So, follow along in this article's abstract as I highlight. Okay? And hopefully it will go. Obesity has roughly the same association with chronic health conditions as does 
20 years of aging. This greatly exceeds the associations of smoking or problem drinking. Okay? Nevertheless, the latter two groups, smoking and excessive alcohol consumption, receive more consistent attention in recent decades in clinical practice, our business, and public health policy. Okay? So, let's dig a little further. But before I do, are you already getting it just to where I'm going? Yes. Okay. Pay attention then. If what I said that being obese or overweight causes greater harm to more people than smoking and drinking excessively combined. Do you have the same level of indignation for all three unhealthy habits? Search your hearts. What do you think of? Okay? Now, Going a little further, you look at the health United States statistics here, and this is the type of problem we're looking at. Okay? You see these different curves and everything? They stack up to a percentage, which is listed on the left side. That's the percentage of the entire U.S. population. Now, I know being overweight and or obese has a number of causes, but what I'm focusing on here is what many of the researchers identify and call excess caloric intake. But if more than 70% of Americans are overweight, with over half of these individuals qualifying as being obese, then do you agree that our culture lacks conviction about excessive caloric intake. Do you see the war being waged against us and what we feel is okay or not okay? What's permissible? What's tolerable? Okay? Now, I'm not here to point fingers. I'm not singling this out just because most of us are over 50, and most of us are overweight. <laughs> Look in the mirror, okay? I'm using this as a teaching tool. We can be so easily blinded to things within our heart because we've made our labels of what's really bad and what's not, what's acceptable and what's not. So what I'm saying is, when we look at scriptures that tout the virtues of living self-controlled lives, then look at ourselves in the mirror. What do we feel? What do we think? Now, I'm going to make a guess here. Most of us actually probably feel ashamed, frustrated, or defeated. Okay? 
No. Let me help you out. Do you believe God doesn't like you when you're having those feelings? Let me reassure you, even on your worst day as a baptized disciple of Jesus, I'll just flip through these. This, this is how God looks at you. He looks at you with the same affection Cameron's parents view my grandson. God's not expecting perfection, but he is expecting us to have conviction. And I'm not looking down at anyone, as I said, here with an attitude of judgment. I'm looking for you to have an attitude of determination, to be determined to be different from the culture around you, to be determined to not let go of your convictions about what is right and what is wrong. And that together, all of us can get a grip. <laughs> what can we do in our own conduct in an effort to do all that we can to promote generational lift rather than generational drift? To be certain and not ambiguous. In addition to overeating, there are many other subtle sins that demand our attention. Therefore, your homework assignment is choose one of oops, let me go back. Choose one of the respectable sins on this list to focus working on a plan of repentance in your quiet times and discipleship times for the next six weeks. Then share your progress in our D groups the next time we meet. Now, if your personal Bible study and discipleship times with others are not characterized by joy and encouragement, then something's not right with your approach. So let me take another aside. Here's what I mean. If you're preaching the gospel to yourself, in your personal Bible study times, or quiet times, we'll call them, then you should be filled with joy because the word gospel, which is a transliteration of the word euangelion, it literally means good news. If you're preaching the gospel to yourself, you're preaching good news to yourself. Good news is supposed to put a smile on your face, lift your heart, your step, it's actually supposed to be fun. If your quiet times are fun, you're not preaching the gospel to yourself, to coin an Ed Anton phrase. What about your D groups? Or D times? So if you're always focusing on turning to God, then your discipleship times, likewise, should be refreshing. I mean, that's how the Apostle Peter himself described this in Acts 3.19. So, maybe you're focusing on the wrong thing when you get together with your brother or sister. Focus on change. Focus on repentance, coming back to God. That will make you feel refreshed. So, hopefully this exercise over the next six weeks not only gives you great confidence that ah, I can tackle one of these heart <coughs> sins 
but that your quiet times and D times are also more fun. I mean, that's what we're here for, okay? Okay, now, remember, where is all this headed? Well, you probably haven't seen this before, so here you got it. Inside scoop. This is what I call St. Peter's Pyramid of Faith. All right? This is from 2 Peter chapter 1. These are the things that we were going to work on this year. You see at the bottom there, faith. And what were we at to add to that? Goodness. And then? And now we're at self-control. So what's going to happen next class? So you see where we're headed? What's at the top? Okay. So I don't want you to become disheartened, even though we're doing the heavy talk tonight. Okay? So here's some helpful uh, hints. If you're looking for a helpful character study in the Old Testament for poor self-control, then consider examining the life of Samson the judge. All right? But if you're more interested in an exemplary example of self-control in the Old Testament, how about studying the life of Daniel the prophet? In the New Testament, the Apostle Paul shared with the Corinthian disciples some core convictions that helped foster self-control in his own life. Before Gene comes up, I'm going to read this again because this is just really powerful. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace to me was now was not without effect. No, I worked harder than all of them. Yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. Okay, Jean's going to share some convictions that are helping her deal with certain respectable sins in her own life. Hey. Um, you know, I think about self-control. I do think about, um, with, particularly with women, I feel like, there's great examples and there's not so great examples in the Bible. When it comes to self-control, I think, wow, if only if Eve had had self-control or only if Sarah had had self-control, these different women, um, or only if Bathsheba had had self-control, you know what I mean? And, and how they changed the course of history, how they changed generationally and generationally our lives, actually. And... Um, so it's so important that we really get a handle on the importance of the conviction of self-control and what it does mean to the future generations, to our families, to our grandchildren, to our own lives and those people that are our hearers, those people that are around us and that we affect. And on the other hand, I think about women like Abigail who had that self-control, was able to think through things quickly and intervene for David. You know, she's such a great example. But I also think through, like I said, about considering what's ahead in the kingdom for my children, for my grandchildren. And for 34 years I've been a Christian, and I've seen this generational drift, and I've seen it lift. And it's going to drift again, and it'll lift again. But it's just, it's a pattern that we live through. And hopefully, though, that we, we can be a generation that will pass the baton, and it won't drift. And, um... So I think also about how God has given me everything I need for life and godliness. And it's a shame that I don't take seriously some of the character sins that I've been letting linger in my life, throughout my life, and not mature. 
And I think that's the key is, are you willing to take a sin and allow God to mature you in that area? And that you, you're willing to fight through and say, I will let that be a strength. To have faith to say, that, I can, and that, that can turn into a strength. When it comes to, you know, thinking about um, two sins in my life to share as an example that have kind of um, haunted, not haunted me, but just been, had a grip on me through the years have been the sin of just careless words, words that have been spoken carelessly from time to time and sin of anxiety at different times. Ecclesiastics, Ecclesiastes 3 says there's a time for everything, a time to be silent and a time to speak. Proverbs 12:18 says reckless words pierce like a sword. And in Matthew 12:36 through 37 Jesus says I will be judged by I will be judged by every careless word that's spoken. And that's that's pretty powerful when I think about the accountability that Jesus that there is on me. But do I really consider that from day to day, from minute to minute as I go about my life? So too many times and for too many years, I've not trained myself to be self-controlled when it comes to my tongue, like I said. And fear will grip me and words will come out. Or idleness will grip me and careless words will come out. Maybe I'll, oops, I just said something I was not supposed to say confidentially. I was supposed to keep that confidential. Or oops, uh, I hope they don't. nobody finds out that I said that, pass that one on. But, you know, I think that for me it's mostly, particularly with my husband, it's mostly the negative words that come out when I get anxious or upset about something. And I've convinced myself that, and I've justified what I've had to say openly. And I've learned that what kind of kind heart do I have? Where's the kindness in there? (coughs) And so... um, God does give us the Holy Spirit within us. He's given us the divine nature to participate in that. And so I know for sure that I can conquer this. And I just share all those things because I think each of us has something that we we can have victory over. For instance, it's like, um, it was pretty bad. Like, when I get in the car with my husband, and I don't know, some of your husbands might drive a little crazy, or maybe some of your wives would drive a little crazy, and it would drive me a little crazy. And I'd get so anxious, and I'm out, sure of, they out of my heart, out of the heart, the mouth would just gush and flow, and I'd say all kinds of not so very encouraging things. But one thing I've had to learn is to be, you know, I need to turn this around. How can I have control over this? How can I have self control? And I decided I'm going to just be vulnerable here, and I'm going to speak the truth. I'm scared. You're scaring me. Rather than, what's wrong with you? You know, you're trying to kill us. You know, those kind of things that come out of your mouth. And honestly, when I start being vulnerable and just speaking kindly or softly the truth, it's like things started to really change. Like just surrendering it to God. So so for me, it's humility and vulnerability that's the key for me to mature in these sins. But I also need the input of people around me when they see me in this in, in my sin. I need the input of my children who from time to time will say, Hey mom, hey mom, look out, what's going on? You know, and they bring it to my attention and I appreciate that. But now I've got my grandchildren watching me. You know, and I'm like, oh, what am I teaching them? First it was what am I teaching my kids? But 
but I have a second chance. What am I teaching my grandchildren? Because they're around me a lot, you know, and I want them to know me as a kind and a grandma that's learned to be patient and to be kind. But I'm going to blow it. And so I figured they need to see me repent. And I think to me, repentance out loud is like the, the best thing that you can do in any situation. But when it comes to anxiety, I know a lot of us as women are getting older. And sometimes we've gotten, okay, we've, we've, we've conquered it and we've got that gentle, quiet spirit. We've learned how to be control our anxiety. And some of us is just, it snowballs and we get more and more anxious as we get older about new situations, about the future, and about what we can't control. And for us, like, we're getting ready to retire soon. And I'm like, so what's going to happen? You've got this situation under control. You've got that situation under control. And I can just get, see my heart turning into, like, frustration and almost anger and want to be like, it's your fault. You don't have this under control. And I want to blame somebody. I want to be like Martha and say, Jesus, take control of this person over here. And um, tell tell her to do what's right. Tell them to do what's right. Um, but I know Jesus is just saying, Jean, Jean, you know, grow up. Come over here and sit by me and learn from me. So, but I remember a time when I was ranting and I was really anxious and upset. And I was like trying to do, I was just like a Martha. I was trying to get a dinner party together and things were not working. The the schedule was getting out of control. And I was like, "Ah." and he came over and said, you need to stop right now. You need to go upstairs and pray. I don't have time to pray. You know? <laughs> I was like, ah! And so, um, but honestly, for me, self-control means stop, pray, and proceed with Jesus. Amen. And I've just had to learn. I've just had to tell myself, stop, pray, proceed with Jesus. But I am grateful for the women in my life that I can go to, that I can talk about. Because sometimes I don't know what's in my heart when it comes to anxiety. And they can help walk me through it, and they can pray with me. And I I often will journal because sometimes I'll just start journaling like, oh, that's what it is. And then I'll just look up the scriptures. God just shows me the scriptures I need for that particular time in my life. Um, But I do think God will put me in situations so I can practice, so I can become mature. You know, and I'm going to have more and more so I can get more mature at the time, going to get more mature at um, getting, a, getting a victorious in this area of anxiety and fear. But I know that this sin of fear and anxiety gripped the Pharisees' hearts when they heard Jesus speak. They're like, oh my gosh, what's going to happen to our nation? What's going to happen? And it's the very sin, because they didn't seek understanding. It's the very sin that took out Jesus on the cross. It's the same sin. It's the same sin that divides relationships in the body. It's the same sin that divides churches and pulls us down. And so I, for me, I've got, to, I've got to look at what I think, oh well, I'm just anxious today, or I'm just fearful. I, and it, it is a big deal. And, um, and I, I think about Sarah, how it did, fear did grip her. But she was honestly, she was patient for a really, really long time. You know, and, and she just gave in to that fear and figured out something, you know, okay, this will work. But when you look at Peter and God, how she, God honored her, there was a lot of surrender that went on later because God totally lifts her up and honors her when it right. comes to her 
overcoming her fears and putting her security in God. And so I know that for me and also for you that God wants to honor us and he wants to lift us up. And as he lifts us up, I know that he's going to lift the church up as well. Amen. All righty. I briefly want to share uh, about one of my sins of the tongue, and uh, that's sarcasm. Uh, surprise. <laughs> I used to consider poking fun at people as one of the cool things about being a funny guy, you know. <laughs> that is until I came across this uh, definition. Uh, sarcasm is from the Greek word sarcasmus, which transliterates this idea, stripping off the flesh. This is where looking up the Greek definition of words can help deepen our convictions. So uh, needless to say, after reading that, I started taking charge of that behavior. So finally, I want to remind all of you uh, to engage wisdom as you approach the topic of self-control, especially with regard to how you admonish one another. So... To go into our D groups here shortly and rebuke your brother or sister for being fat is to entirely miss the teaching found in both passages I've quoted from 2 Peter chapter 1 and Titus chapter 2. Both apostles emphasize the foundation of grace. Therefore, being more self-controlled in one or more areas of my character does not mean that I am any more saved than my fellow disciples. Right. But that these teachings and reproofs provide all of us unique opportunities to work on growing our maturity in Christ-likeness. So what I'd like to do is before we split for our D groups, and I will uh, suggest two questions to consider, why don't you join me in prayer? Here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. But for that very reason, I was shown mercy so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his unlimited patience as an example for those who would believe on him and receive eternal life. Now to the King eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen. So here's some questions you can consider discussing in your small groups. Number one, how will the phrase grace teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions affect your Bible study, and your fellowship. Or two, number two, what are some things you can do to encourage others in our Empty Nesters group to be more determined to see Christ formed in them? Thank you for your attention. We can break into our groups.